starting clock. And here's what I want to say is, <laughs> thank you. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. I don't know. That's a little too much. That, we need to go bigger than that, okay? So, he is risen. <laughs> thank you. All right. Now, I know that that's just little kid time right there, right? But I want to say something. If you can yell for the Seahawks, you can yell for Jesus, right? And, and I do want to say that if anybody's got a reason to yell loudly for Christ, it's us, right? I mean, the bottom line is, if Easter were only about the cross, not the second thing that happened, but the cross only, it would still be worth yelling a thousand Super Bowl, he is, a thousand Super Bowl celebrations, right? So I don't know if my thing is not working. Oh, there it is. Because, and I don't want you to look at the gruesome body, although I, I just want you to think about something. What's going on here in the cross? Real simple. I'm going to keep it short and sweet, but here's what it is. Simple. Okay? God made us to be with us. But he said, I'm not going to compel you. So he gave us genuine free will. And so we took that free will, and he said, you can choose to go my way, in which case you're with me. I'm life. I have a better plan than you could ever imagine, and if you go with me, you go with me. But if you want to go another way, you can, and when you do, it separates us. That is death. He is life, and the author of life being separated from him is death, even if you're still walking around, okay? And so the point is, is every one of us, Christian, non, everybody, in an all-too-frequent basis has made choices that were what they wanted, not knowing what God had and not trusting him and not doing what he wanted, right? Not doing what he had for you. And in so doing, we got separated from God. And in so doing, we died. We call that separation sin. And then God did something extraordinary. All throughout, before the time that Jesus was here, he gave a sacrificial system saying, the penalty for sin is death, and I'm going to let you kill an innocent animal. I want you to grieve at the loss of that. It's not, God is not against PETA. He is a believer, in, and he wants us to feel the pain of something innocent having to die for us, right? And then what happens, of course, is, is that as time goes on and it becomes the right moment, the kairos moment, the perfect moment in God, God says, and now I'm going to do something different. Every year you had to make that sacrifice for your sins, but now I'm going to make a sacrifice once for all. And this is Jesus, God's son, but I want you to understand something. Jesus is God. So this is God. We chose to separate from him. That is marked by his body being ripped from. That's the imagery, the metaphor, the thing in creation that is speaking, the things of God. We are ripping ourselves from him and it pains him. And what God has done is said, I'm making a way back for you. I'm going to take upon myself everything that was due you. Period. I'm going to take it. I'm going to be on that cross and I'm going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is being separated in some way that we do not understand at that moment. And when that happens, there is a separation, a death that takes place. And sure enough, he dies and is buried, right? And in so doing, what we say as Christians, if you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian, welcome. But the bottom line is he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. And that pays for what we're due 
and not just the one sins we did before we come to know him, but even after. And so we're dead to sin, and we can live for what is right. By his wounds, he healed us. Now, right there, that's enough to celebrate. A thousand Super Bowls worth, right? You know? I mean, Marshawn Lynch goes to the Raiders. We can hate him a little bit, but, you know, okay? But we can, we can praise God full-throated and with everything we've got forevermore for that alone. The amazing thing is, that's not even the best part of the weekend, <laughs> right? Because what happens next is, is that God, yes, he dies because he has become sin. But the problem is, it wasn't his sin. The penalty for sin is death, but he didn't sin. He never, not even one moment, did he ever do anything but precisely what God wanted, what God had in mind, what God desired. He was in every dimension completely lined up with God forever, and because he'd never sinned, death couldn't hold him. He buried ours with him, but death couldn't hold him. And so we have this remarkable moment, which is what we really celebrate on Easter. again and what he said is that every single person that wants to accept what I did for them on the cross their sins die with me they die with me but then they rise again new it's not just that he forgave our sins it's that he made us new it's that he gave us new life that he came inside that he made us a new being he made us a new creature the holy spirit comes and resides inside of you and leads and guides and helps and does all the miraculous incredible magnificent things that he does and this is what we celebrate at easter and so we can say in full-throated way he is risen he is risen indeed. he is risen he is risen, indeed. He is risen? Amen, right? No, one more time. We're still not quite there. He is risen. He is risen <laughs> there you go. With everything, right? Full gusto, right? Now, because of this reality that we celebrate so magnificently, so gloriously, so wondrously at Easter, we of everybody should never, ever lack in hope. Think about it. Take yourself back to that point in time. It's Friday. Jesus has been crucified. You are one of the disciples. You have given up everything. 
You have walked with him. You've expected all sorts of things. He has said other things, but you didn't hear that stuff. He has done all of these kinds of things. By the way, next week's sermon, incredible. God's amazing. But the bottom line is he's done all of these wonderful things, and you're thinking all of these thoughts and all of these hopes and all of these things, and then Friday happens. And when Friday happens, everything goes to crud. There was another word I wanted to use, but I'm just not going to do that on Easter, okay? <laughs> everything just goes to heck in a handbasket. Everything, what, what, think about what they're feeling at that moment. Do they have hope? No, it just died. <laughs> right? A spear in the side. It's gone. Hope is gone. They are literally hiding in the room that the night before they were taking communion with him, having the Last Supper. They are now hiding in that room for fear of the people who are going to persecute them. Hope is not only gone, they are now afraid. Anybody here ever happened like that? Anybody here have anything that has happened that's shook your faith? Anybody here have something that's ongoing that might have taken away from your hope? Might have caused it to drain a little bit? Or a lot? Or all the way? Right? But here's what we Christians have. Sundays are coming. But we, have, we don't have, we don't end on Friday, that's it. Well, good luck. <laughs> I hope it works out for you. Right? We got Sundays coming. There's something going to happen on Sunday morning that we know about on the other side of it that we know about that they don't. They've lost all hope. But then they see him risen again. He talks to them. He lets them put their fingers in his hands and his side. He eats with them. He talks with them for 40 days. They are with him. At that moment in time, just think about it. Don't you think that you would have a lot of hope? Right? I mean, the kind of hope that no matter what happened, you would maintain your hope. We Christians, in the light of the resurrection, ought never, ever, 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 ever to lose hope in any degree. We ought to always be the ones that hope the most because God does stuff on Sunday morning that you didn't know was coming, you couldn't know was coming because it's stuff only God can do, and he's done it in a way that you could not have known about. God is the God of Sunday morning, and that's who we continue to hope in, right? So every person in this room never has one time where they lose any hope. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> right? Something else. Right? You know, all too often we sell our hope so cheap, right? I just got distracted by the world and its goodies. And I lost touch with the Lord. I stopped doing my devotionals. I lost a little bit. I literally did that a week ago. I didn't do devotionals for the whole week. I didn't intend not to do them. It's just the way it worked out and everything else. And so I went almost, I went probably in 11 days, I had one devotion. And that is, I don't know that that's ever happened to me before since I became a Christian. And, and at staff, I did something that I've never done before in my life. Eight, I've been here 20 years and I've been on other staffs. And I just lost it. I just lost it in a stupid, infantile, ridiculous manner. I lost it because I wasn't filled, because I'd sold my hope cheaply for the, for the uh, 
not to go into too much detail, but really what had happened with me was I started going to bed earlier. Julie wants to go to bed earlier, and I thought, ah, I'll just start going to bed earlier, and that gets me up really early. And I just, I want to go on my walk, but I feel like a creeper going up into the neighborhood that I walk in. You know, it's completely dark. I'm dressed completely in black, and I'm walking around going, this feels bad. <laughs> you know, like, don't shoot. <laughs> right? So I tried to move it to later, and then I get in the flow of my day, and what happens when you get in the flow of your day? The day takes over. And I didn't get to my devotional, and I lost it, and I lost hope. So we sell it so cheaply, but the truth is, the truth is, is that there's some awfully, honestly, truly, it's almost like good reasons. Now understand I mean that in a certain fashion, but I'm going to tell you a quick story of a person that I've gotten permission to tell a story about. But one of my threefold partners is, has a wife who um, some years ago had a rib just pop out of place. They didn't know why, it was totally weird. It was like nothing happened, but it just popped out of place. So she went to the doctor and they looked at it, they tried to put it back into place. They couldn't do it, it wouldn't go back into place and it wouldn't hold. So they kept looking at her and looking at her and pretty soon after a little while, they figured out that she had this incredibly rare I think it's genetic, I can't remember right now, but it's this thing that happens where her connective tissue is disintegrating. So that means every bone in your body has connective tissue, that's how it stays together. Bones don't connect together, connective tissue connects bones, that's why they call it connective tissue. And her connective tissue is disintegrating. And so it, she will have something happen like a rib pop out. You ever had a rib pop out? Because that's painful. So that's really painful. So you go to the doctor to get that fixed, and she goes to the doctor to get a bone fixed that's popped out and that's losing a connection, and the doctor tries to fix it, and multiple times now, the doctor has injured her further in a way, and she does never heal from that. Now, there are surgeries that you can get to kind of connect some of that stuff in some major bones and so on and everything else, but about, I don't know what the percentage is, but a, but a very unacceptably high amount of time the operation itself causes another problem that leads to another issue that never heals and is incredibly painful. Now, this has been going on for years, years. I challenge anybody in here to maintain an enthusiastic posture of hope in the face of something which is incredibly painful and all signs point to it only getting worse. And you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and there you go. You're still in it. I mean, this challenges anybody's faith. I do want to say, because I'm going to talk about a couple things right now, I do want to say, this is a remarkable human being. I almost can't imagine anybody going through it better than what she's going through it. It's incredible how strong she is. But that doesn't mean she doesn't have her moments, or days, or even weeks. Well, what the heck? Vibrant, vivacious, this is stealing the activity in the person. And well, it's not stealing her personality, but you get the drift. This is hard, incredibly difficult. And, and there's, a, there's a scripture that's not actually a scripture that I'll even quote all the time, without hope people perish. That's actually not a scripture. It's, it's, a mis, it's a King James mistranslation of a verse that has since been corrected, and it doesn't say this at all. But the truth is, that's true, isn't it? Without hope, people perish, right? Think about it for a second. Think about how important hope is, 
especially when you're going through something devastatingly long that may last till the end of your life. Hope is the thing that keeps any kind of hope. River of living water, life. You lose hope, what happens? You despair of life. In fact, the way that it says it in Scripture is hope deferred makes the heart sick. Several people in here have been undergoing things that are large enough to where your heart has become sick. Right? How do we enter into a resurrection hope? How do we enter into a hope? You know, that, that cloth right there, you see those bindings on there? One of the amazing things about the cloth and the description of it was somebody got out of that binding without unbinding it. The head scarf, they folded up neatly, but they just came out of that. How do, you, how do we live in the hope that God clearly meant us to live in for the whole of our lives? How do we live in that hope? I will tell you, Time to get done today. You're going to see what God's doing to bring all of us into that. This was a very long intro. The sermon is just right about the same amount of time, a little less. But I really wanted to do it this way because I wanted to pray right now that we would get this. So, with that in mind, Todd, this is perfect. Todd Tarbert, I love you so much. What a, what a fantastic person. When you see him, just go up and say hi. I promise you within five minutes you're gonna be going wow, okay? So would you pray for the sermon? Would you lift up this day instead of one church? Would you just lift them all up that the Lord's presence would so imbue that it would change everything? Thanks. Abba, we just come to you this morning. We just thank you, we thank you just for your love for us uh, as shown through Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. And Lord, we just celebrate it, the fact that he rose and that he's living today and that he's calling each of us. Lord, we just thank you that, uh, that you are there and you love us and you just, you, you want us to live victorious lives. Amen. And Lord, we know that Jesus conquered it all, and we can. In this life and death, we can live victoriously. Amen. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I just, uh, as I was in here, I, I, you know, I'm pr I pray for those that aren't a part of the family. Amen. We Amen. pray for those that are waking up today and they don't understand what happened on the cross thank and what you Jesus. did by by rising. So Lord, we lift up our family, we lift up neighbors that have Thank yet you. to turn to you Amen, and Lord. to receive your love and your grace Amen. in Jesus. And so Lord, we just uh, we pray for the for those that are persecuting your church that are actively uh, just, you know, attacking you and your saints. So Lord, we pray for them. We Amen. pray for their salvation. We pray Amen. that in the name of Jesus, Amen that you would touch them, that they would 
whether today, this next week, the years ahead, that they would turn and that they would receive your gift and your love. Amen. And that they would come to understand this glorious day that Jesus has risen, the King of Kings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. That was terrific. Thank you, Todd. I love it when I tell somebody something to do and then they find a better thing to do. You may have noticed on the walls that there's a few lilies. I do want you to know something. We were a little concerned about the allergy thing. So literally, I think it was Deb Cosby went through every single one and pulled out the pistols. Is that what the name is? So that the pollen and that kind of stuff wouldn't be a problem. Okay. If it's still being a problem, I, we have a room. Okay. So, but, but is everything okay? Yeah. Let me do something. Okay. Oh, is that who it was? Oh, Maureen, you did it? Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, much better because there's a lot of allergies going around as everything falls apart in the world. All right, with that in mind, there's a, there's a really interesting thing. Well, it's true, right? Yeah, there you go. So, so this is, this is an Easter lily bulb. Now, that should be underground, and every time I show it to you, just think that's supposed to be in the ground, okay? Because that's where it's supposed to be. But the bottom line is, is that's an Easter lily bulb. And bulbs are the coolest things, aren't they? They're not like a seed where you put them in the ground and maybe they do wait a little while, but then they, you know, sprout and then that's it, right? They do their thing and they're done. Bulbs do this really cool thing where what they do is, is that they go down and, and they, for all intents and purposes, they're lying there just dormant, right? Like, like nothing's happening. And then, then they just... So a cue, environmental cues, they call them, will happen. And it'll be a little temperature, it'll be a little moisture. It'll even be bugs that are crawling by them and disturbing them just a little bit. And what it'll do is that they'll start to activate. When they start to activate, they'll start to sprout. And then the coolest thing about an Easter lily is an Easter lily will sprout up, but it's always, it's too early for this kind of a flower in the world, right? You know, it could snow again and freeze. So it goes up and it just hovers and waits. It goes dormant again, it just waits until it's actually safe to come up. Now, how it knows that, I got no idea. Nobody else does either. But somehow it knows when it's not gonna get wiped out, and so it comes up, pops up into full-fledged, beautiful, gorgeous lily, right? Easter lily, the, the, the thing of life and the whole nine yards. So, what we, what we wanna do is, the thing, the thing that's cool about a bulb, though, is, is it'll go through an entire life cycle. It'll spring up into this gorgeous flower. It'll live out its days. It'll get pollinated and pollinate and do all these things. And everything will happen. And then it will die, right? And it'll go back to the bulb state. And then it'll just sit there and wait. And then one day, it's time. And pop, here she comes again. Now, God said that when he made things, he made things in a certain way so that everything that was made would have a fingerprint of his in them so that we could look at what was made and we could know the most extraordinary fine details about who he is. And an Easter lily bulb becomes an absolutely phenomenal metaphor for Jesus because Jesus is the one who had life way before everything else. He had life before, right? from eternity. And then what happened was, is he said, though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So when he's born as a human being, 
then there's this life cycle that happens that we just looked at and the cross, and then he dies. And when he dies, of course, he goes into a bulb state. It's not the end of his life. When it's time again, which happens in this case to be the third day, then he springs up again in life, right? So Jesus is this perfect metaphor, or the Easter bulb is this perfect metaphor for Jesus. Having said that, these things that God shows us are not just about God, they're also about us. And there's something interesting to me about us, which we've already talked about in the intro, and that is that we are born alive. Some would argue that even theologically. But the bottom line is, is that we are born with this life in us, and then we make decisions that separate us, and so we die. And then one day along comes Jesus. He gets a hold of us. He takes that sin down and he comes up alive and he gives us new life and we become alive, right? But then we do that other thing that we were talking about in the intro where we get distracted by the things of the world. You know what I mean? We're living our life. God has made us comfortable. He's delivered us from whatever. We're doing good and everything else. And so we spend a little too much time over here and a little too much time over there. And suddenly God gets sort of moved into a different position in our lives. And all of a sudden we find ourselves one devotional out of 11 and we lose it in a staff meeting. But then, and so we die. But then God comes and he does what he does and we spring back to life again, <laughs> right? And then we do something, something terrible happens or whatever, you know what I mean, like we've been talking about, but for other reasons, one of, some of which might be a lot more understandable, these really difficult things, and we die again. But then God comes and gives us hope again, and so we rise again. And I just wanna say, <clears throat> I got a huge question for God on this Easter morning. How the heck did we get off of that roller coaster? <laughs> I don't want to be a yo-yo anymore. I don't want to be somebody who's dying and then God's reviving and then I'm dying and then I'm reviving and then I'm dying and I'm reviving. I don't want to do that anymore. How do I do that? Is there somebody we could look at in history and find a group of people who in their Christian walks never did that? There's no indication whatsoever, as far as I can find. There's enough smart people in here, you'll find me one example where I'm wrong on this, so let me just save that one example back. But let me tell you that I cannot find, there's a group of people that I cannot find, not only that they never backslid, for heaven's sakes, but they never, ever lost their hope. Despite the fact that they were persecuted horribly for what? We're talking about Jesus. The disciples went all over the world, and most of them do remember. You want to talk about horrible things. They died the kind of deaths. One of them, you know, hooked up to four horses at four corners, and then the horses were slapped, and that pulled them apart. Other ones that were crucified upside down. Others and others. And, and you know, Paul, here's a guy who, he's left for dead how many times? <laughs> it almost becomes like a, oh well, <laughs> right? And by the way, it's every indication that they did in fact kill him. But God just wasn't done with him yet. So the bottom line is, is there a group of people in history that we can look at that not only never backslid, that's, that's not even what we're looking at today, but they never, ever lost their hope. 
To the contrary, this hope was this wellspring inside of them that sprung up. And it became this river of living water that came out of them. No matter how badly they were mistreated, no matter how unfairly they were mistreated, no matter how it was happening to them, didn't seem like anything that should be right at all. That no matter what happened to them at every stage of their life, what every indication is from every one of the stories we have, and they're not just gospel stories in the Acts, we also have them from other sources and so on, some of which is not true because it's just legend, but some of which actually is true about their lives. And what we find when we look at their lives is there's no indication of them ever losing their hope at all to the contrary. The, the, all the evidence is that they grew more and more and more in the river of living water that came out of them. And the more they got persecuted, the more they actually poured out. The more alive they actually became, the more they did. So the disciples become our model for how to live a Christian life where you don't ever lose your hope. So how do we live like the disciples in Paul and never lose hope? How do we do that? Well, I got a really simple way. God just invented a time machine, take us back to the resurrection, let us see Jesus risen again like we saw in the videos, and we're going to be fine, right? Because they were. <laughs> well, first of all, let me say, if you really want to do that, you're going to have to sign up for another part of it, which is those horses and being crucified upside down. Because that's what happened to all of them except for John, who also was persecuted and, you know, imprisoned and so on. Okay, so I'm kind of hoping there's a way to not live, uh, not fall into hopelessness, not lose my hope that doesn't involve horses and crosses and so on. Okay, right? Is there a way to live that life now? And it turns out there is. And it's what God's been doing with us now for about seven or eight years. I want to say obviously he was doing that way before that. I want to show you something. Watch this. He gives us this incredible story about the resurrection. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, and place my hand on the wound side. I got to tell you, until this very moment, every time I ever read that story, I always thought, he said that like at 3 o'clock, and like at 5 o'clock they were having dinner, and Jesus showed up. So two hours later, it was all taken care of. But actually what the story says is, eight days later, <laughs> So for eight days, all the disciples are saying, we have seen Jesus risen again. And there's a guy who's saying, no, I don't believe it. We can be pretty hard-hearted, <laughs> right? I get that we need to be, it needs to be real for us, so that's okay. But I think it's a really interesting story about why didn't he trust? Why didn't he trust the testimony of those other people? But that's another sermon. The one that I'd like to stick with right now is eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, I, I love, it may be just the way that he told the story, but it appears that Thomas never had to ask the question. <laughs> right? He knew what he'd said, and so he says, hey, Tom, come over here. Put your finger in that hole. Look at my hands. Put your hand into this where the spear went in. And don't be faithless any longer. Now, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. <laughs> you can tell that sort of like humbling moment, right? 
But that's not the reason why I'm telling this story because Jesus then said, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Now, blessed is a, is a word, a funny word. It means fortunate, happy, privileged. But in this context, it takes on another layer. What it means is better off. You're more fortunate. You're more happy. Really? You're more privileged. How am I who did not see the Lord risen again more privileged than those that did? This is not true. <laughs> is it? Well, Jesus said it, so it is, so there's something wrong in me. So I got to figure out what that wrong is. How can this be? Well, let's just look at what God's been doing for the last seven, eight years here in this body. I don't even know how long ago it was that I was on my walk and God said discipleship's in the toilet and that sent us down an entirely new path that we've been walking ever since about staffing and everything that we do in order to raise discipleship up. And I want to say it's not just us, it's churches all over the country. If you go to us, like I always said, before God told me that, you couldn't hardly find anybody with the Navigators that was serious, that was doing a lot of conferences on on discipleship. It was always about church growth or all kinds of other things. But it was not about discipleship. Now, you can't hardly find a conference that isn't about discipleship. And God has been doing discipleship, 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 discipleship. He's been trying to raise people up, but why? Well, a couple of years ago, one of the, another little piece fell into place for us. And what he said was, is I'm going to withdraw my protection to a degree, not completely, but I'm gonna withdraw my protection to a degree that you would slip down and experience things that you didn't think could happen because I've been protecting you from them. And I wanna say the place that that was most obviously true was politics. But let's be clear about the politics. The thing that really was God was going after was the fraction, the, the fractionally, what am I, what's the word I'm trying to say? Fractionalizing? The fracturing, there you go. The fracturing of relationships over political things. I realize not everybody experiences a lot, but I have phenomenally and unbelievably painfully. I mean, I've had more painful things in my life, but I wouldn't, it's in the top three. This period of time has been murderous to me. It have, if I wanted to lose hope, I could lose hope real fast because I just have this constant thing happening that's just killing me people that I love so deeply and there's this division and they don't even have to be with me, they can be with other people. And there's all this stuff that's going on. And so at the beginning of the year, God started talking to us about being one. And even last week, Mike Hatch, brilliant sermon on connectedness. Two weeks from now, Kimberly, I think, and that's, you know, we're giving her an out a little bit, but Kimberly's gonna be talking about how to be one, okay? So God is keeping us on the theme of staying together, but he's doing something else, isn't he? At the same time, he's saying, look, this thing is still going on and I want you to work at it. But he's starting to do something else. He's starting to show us what he's really trying to do when we're being separated from people that we love, which is the thing that we care about the most. As Mike said last week and as we all should. That's the thing we should care about the most. Sometimes we care about other things more and that's wrong. We should care about our oneness with each other the very most. And what happens is, as God has been saying, what I want to do is, I want to teach you how to press into this stuff. It's not a 30-minute sitcom that resolves. It's not an hour-long drama that resolves. 
it's not even a plot line that resolves over a season of a, of a show. What I want to do, he's saying, is, is I want you to press in. And so he started bringing us this thing, right? 21 days of prayer. And 20, it wasn't about 21 days of prayer at all, was it? It was about get faithful about something, <laughs> right? If you're willing to throw off the relationships, that's bad. But get serious about something. What's the thing you most need to be rescued from? That was the question we asked. For 21 days, morning, noon, and night, pray for that faithfully. Why was he doing that? To give us an answer to our prayer? No. No. He wanted us to get faithful about something. <laughs> and he figured the thing that we wanted to be rescued from might be something we might actually care about. <laughs> Enough to try being faithful. To go after it. Somebody wrote me this week this, com this comment about the 21 days of prayer. I took the challenge to be rescued seriously, prayed every day for a healing touch from a symptom that's been plaguing me since November. Even though 21 days was over last Sunday, she did the same thing I did, which is I put it, I didn't do morning, noon, night, but I did 9 a.m. every morning, and I, no matter what I'm doing, even this morning when I was doing my sermon run-through, it came up at 9, about two minutes later, I went, no, I need to pray for it, and I stopped my sermon prep, and I prayed for it. I just do it. I felt I should keep pressing in, so I did, and this morning that symptom was gone. 29 days. Now, I think God's trying to do this. I told you, I think it's a season of answered prayer where he's trying to teach us that if we're faithful, Sunday morning is coming. There is a Sunday morning. I'm a Sunday morning God. Do you know how to get from Friday, disappointment, lack of hope, lost hope, to Sunday, life? Because we're not at Sunday yet, are we? We're somewhere before it, and we need to have rivers of living water that are sustaining us that are lifting us up, that are keeping us in a place of hope, right? So this is what God is trying to do. And just so that you know that this is not something that is just happening here in Lake Sam or here in the Northwest. I had a conversation this week. God always brings me illustrations the week of the sermon, always. And I'm on a conversation with somebody who is, just to be honest, one of, the, one of my favorite people in the world. An unbelievable, on the East Coast, basically. So all the way across the country, this is a person who I respect. I don't think I could respect higher. This is an amazing person. This is a person who has given up what they could have made and earned and been in their life in order to do, they're not full-time ministry, they're not in a church setting, but they're in a setting where they're making a difference in people's lives, so there's a lot of ministry that goes on, but it's not a formal ministry, it's a job. Heading up a large organization right? Millions of dollars of budgets, hundreds of employees, so on. This person is running this business. And what they said to me this week is they said, and I, and I know this person's godliness, and it's, it's so strongly there. And, and what this person said was, he said, I need to tell you that it's been so hard for so long that the hope started to drain I'm paraphrasing a little on this, using the words that'll make sense for the sermon, but this is what he said. I'm being very true to what he said. And he said, the hope drained in my life to the point that I actually started, I was starting to think and believe that life was just tough. That's what it was. Every once in a while, you got a nice moment, then you should have fun in those, but that mostly life was a strain, a struggle, a pain, 
a problem, difficult, harsh, hard. This is what life is. And he said, this is what I was thinking. So I go down and I get a little time off and I'm walking on a beach and I'm talking to God about this and, and sure enough, God comes back and says, you know, try these two things. And he said, they were two things I could do very easily. They weren't big deals. And he said, I, I totally got it. I understood what he was saying. And I went back home and I started doing them. And he said, I want to tell you, it was making a difference, a real difference. I was in a place of kind of despair and it was raising me up from where I was to where I felt better doing the things that I was doing. But I got to tell you what wasn't happening was I hadn't given up the idea that life was still just suck. Doing these two things made it suck a little less but it still sucked. And then he said, there's this person in our community that's ill, quite ill. And he said, the whole community has been praying for this person because we love this person. And everybody in this community has been praying for this person strongly because it's just such a horrible thing. And we're praying strongly for this person, faithfully strongly. Do you hear the words I'm saying? He's telling me, we're praying for this person. We're praying for this person. We're, does that sound like something? 21 days of prayer, persistence, faithfulness. We're praying for this person. We're praying for this person. We're praying for this person. And he said, I don't really have any faith that she's going to be healed. And he said, one day God heals her. And he said, all of a sudden, everything in me flipped. And I suddenly remembered in our language, the Sunday morning God. That God does care about our lives that he does care about the hardness that we're in, that he is there to rescue us, that he is rescuing us all the time. I suddenly had hope. And he said, I entered into a joy in life. And he said, I am loving life. Now, all the problems I had are still happening. Same exact problems, didn't go away. But my attitude, my heart, me, I'm completely different. Because I have a river of living water flowing out of me of hope. Right? I want to propose to you that when Jesus says that we're blessed, I want to propose to you that, yeah, you could be experiencing this and it would do something remarkable for you. But I want to propose to you that this journey that God has us on is that. That Jesus is bringing us through something that's very difficult in our lives. That Jesus is bringing, he's not fixing it quickly because quick come, quick go. Easy come, easy go. That God is trying to bring us an experience in our lives which not only matches what the disciples had, but is better than. Will last longer. It is something that is incredibly personal to you and I the most intimate, fingerprinted, unique, individualized thing. And that he is saying, if you will just press into that thing. I gotta tell you something. I've been pressing in, as I told you, nine o'clock in the morning. Can I tell you something? It has made my life worse. <laughs> because before, I talked about what it was and it just has to do with something I'm not gonna talk about now. But before, I was able to put that on the shelf and in my good male waffle brain, I was able to compartmentalize it. When I did have to think about it, it was pretty bad, but i get my eyes off of it as quick as I could so that I didn't have to pay any more attention to it. And then I could live over here, okay, 
because I just put it out of my mind. Now, every morning at 9 o'clock, I am reminded of that. <laughs> and it sucks. Every morning at 9 o'clock, I am pressing into God and reminding myself about this thing that's happening to me, which is really could destroy me. <laughs> How fun is that? But you know, a few weeks ago, Vijay spoke and he said something. We receive the same promises as the Israelites when they walked around in the wilderness, but the promises didn't do those people a bit of good because they didn't receive the promises with faith. Can I tell you something? As I'm praying every morning at nine o'clock, even though it sucks to be reminded of it and have to live in it, as I pray about it with the Sunday morning God in mind, with the delivering, rescuing, with the resurrection God in mind, it's building something in me. I literally, I'm telling you, I can feel it inside of me. It's like there's something, God's building something in me. I'm sort of going, woo, I hope it's not alien, but, but, but you get the drift. He's building, he's edifying, right? He, he's building me up. Just as the word says, because what it says is, is those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. Now notice something here. It doesn't mean they'll renew their strength because it was over. <laughs> it's not what it says. It says if you trust in the Lord, your strength will be renewed. I'm here to tell you, my strength is being renewed. Now I gotta tell you, most of the time I'm pretty strong. I'm old enough now to where it doesn't feel as much fun as it used to feel. But the bottom line and the real truth is, is that as I'm going after the Lord in the way that I'm going after the Lord right now, I feel something important building inside of me and I do not believe that that is just so that I'll be stronger personally. I believe he's got a reason for me to be doing this because he needs me to be stronger than I am right now. For what he wants to use me for, for what might be happening in the world. I don't know, I'm not doomsday-ish, but you get the drift. He's building something in me, and I can tell it's for a reason. And so I'm wholly engaged in going to the gym and working out. You see it? Now everybody can say, that doesn't look like that. <laughs> God is the God of Sunday morning. That's who he is. We forget, and when we do, we lose hope and we die. A little bit or a lot. When you remember who he is, when you keep it in mind who he is, it doesn't matter what's happening to you. It doesn't matter if you never get delivered from it. It doesn't matter because you're different. Because you're built up. Because you're rejoicing. Because you're celebrating. Because you're saying he is risen because he's rising in you. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. This is the song that we're gonna sing right now. We're not done. I got a special present for you in just one second. So don't leave right now. When the song comes, I know a lot of people say that's my cue to get out of here, but we're not quite done yet, okay? But I'm gonna read the lyrics to you. Van, come on up. I'm gonna read the lyrics to you because I want you to see the lyrics to the song. I want you to know what they are so that when we sing them, you know them and you can sing them full-throatedly. Here's how the song goes, for the cross. The life you gave, your body was broken. This is about the cross. Your love poured out, you bled and died for me. There on the cross, 
You breathed your last and you were crucified. You gave it all for me. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Hallelujah, King forever. We thank you for the cross. Next verse, this is about the grave. They're in the ground, sealed in the darkness, lifeless laid the frame of the father's son. In agony, God washed his only son be sacrificed. He gave it all for me. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Hallelujah, king forever. We thank you for the cross. And as we talked about in the intro, we could stop the sermon right there and we would still need to praise him every minute of every day for the rest of our lives because of what he'd done right there. But it ain't over yet because Sunday morning's coming. But on that day, what seemed as the darkest hour, a violent hope, I love that line, a violent hope, broke through and shook the ground. And as you rose, the light of all the world was magnified and you rose in victory. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Hallelujah, you are king forever. We thank you for the cross, though our sins are scarlet. You've made them white as snow. Stand with me and sing this song. life you gave, your body was broken, your love poured out, you bled and you died for me there on the cross, you breathed your last as you were crucified, you gave it all for me. What a Savior Hallelujah, what a friend Hallelujah, King forever We thank you for the cross 
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Reach down. Grab these cups in front of you. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to know something as you're reaching and grabbing these. When you reach down, you're going to see this too. This is a bulb. It doesn't look like the lily bulb that we did because, frankly, they were four bucks and they were big and ugly. Okay? So these are 50 cents, and it's something you could actually put by your desk. And what I'm asking you to do is put this by where you work. Just leave it. You can leave it in the flowery bag, but somebody might ask you. So either way, whatever. Just put the bulb somewhere where you'll see it all the time. And remember what it's saying. Sunday's coming. There's life in there. You don't see it right now, but there's life in there. And the right stuff comes around and it grows. So I want everybody to take this home. And having said that, all the lilies on the walls, not on the stage, but all the lilies on the walls, first come, first serve, please. Don't be, don't be waiting on somebody else because then we'll have a bunch of them left. But I want you to take those home. Enjoy the flower of this, this Easter, okay? The bottom line, this is the takeaway. This is the one that I want you to have. And remember, Sunday's coming. There's life in there. Doesn't look like it, but there is. And it'll come. Water it with your faithfulness. Water it with your prayers. Water, water it with trusting God, knowing who he is. Right? Having said that, Lord, in Jesus' name, we take this bottom cup in which is your body broken for us. We know so richly what that means right now. If you are here and you do not know the Lord, what a beautiful time to understand that you did in fact make choices that separated you from God and he's just trying to bring you home. Has been all along even though you didn't know or see it. And if you're somebody who's just fallen away and it's just become kind of dull and dead, what a beautiful day to rewater, to take this and realize that not just before you knew Christ, but even after, there are still things that we do and don't do that separate us. They, they don't actually separate us because God holds us, but they cause us to dry out. They cause the river of living water to go dry. So we take our finger and we put them in there, recognizing God that our lives are yo-yos and that we want them in Jesus' holy and precious name to become ever flowering, ever green, ever you. And so in Jesus' name, we lift this cup saying, we know that we have broken our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross that heals them. Take together. Now in Jesus' name, we lift up this cup in which is the life. You water us with your life. If we but receive it, we become that life perfect time to receive Christ's life if you do not know him. Perfect time to renew Christ's life if you do. Perfect time if you do to strengthen it. Turn it into a rain. That in Jesus' holy and precious name, the life that he is pouring out is the one that you drink up and become. It's already there. Just respond. In Jesus' name, we take this cup together saying, God, your life become mine. Jesus' name, take together. Ushers, thank you.